Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Viral a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. On the podcast today, we look at the future of going out and what pubs and restaurants might look like in a socially distanced world. Ireland is now currently awaiting further instructions on reduced lockdown conditions, which are due out on May 5th, but as we've discussed on the podcast in recent days, these will be carried out on a phased basis. For many, some of the things that give us most joy in life revolve around the hospitality industry. Eating out, dancing in a bar or nightclub, or catching up with friends in a busy pub for a drink. These are far down the pecking order, and if signals last week from the Minister for Health are to be believed, we may not see return of them until a vaccine is found. Today, we are speaking to some of the people at the heart of the hospitality industry to see how COVID-19 has affected them and their peers, as well as what the future holds for business owners and punters alike. Now, before our main topic today, and something a little bit different on the podcast, I want to quickly take a look at a document that was shown to me during the week, which is a public health advertisement in the Irish Times from 1918 during the Spanish flu pandemic. The flu infected over 800,000 people over a 12-month period in Ireland, claiming the lives of over 23,000, and was also the last great medical emergency the world has faced on a scale like we are seeing today. What I find is remarkable about the advertorial from the Public Health Committee is how much of the information is still relevant and repeated in the messaging we see around the virus today. Do not spit on the floor or tram car or on the streets. Expectorated matter may be full of objectionable microbes. In sneezing, keep a handkerchief on your face. Keep a little pad of cotton containing eucalyptus and smell it often, especially when in contact with other people. Allow plenty of air into your dwelling. Avoid crowded rooms. Vermin and dirt convey contagion. The strictest cleanliness should be observed. Do not overexert yourself or give way to panic. And when recovering from influenza, only see the persons you are obliged to see, so as to avoid infecting others. Thank you to Gary Keenan for sending that piece on to me for the podcast. It was a great way to grab an insight into what a global health emergency looked like over 100 years ago. Now, Donal O'Keefe is the chief executive of the Licensed Vintners Association, which represents over 75% of Dublin's pubs. And to begin, I spoke to him about what the past couple of weeks have been like for the publicans in his industry. So we've gone through the full gamut of emotions from shock 
to fear, to anger, to despair, to disappointment, to small hope and having a dash again. I mean, if we were having this conversation a week ago, I think we would have been hoping that pub trade would be open in the late summer, possibly early autumn. Our potential opening was on the horizon. Obviously, Minister Harris's comments last Sunday, where he, he says, stated that uh, he didn't see pubs operating at capacity until uh, a vaccine has been found, probably not until 2021, was a hammer blow to the trade. It has caused enormous levels of stress and fear and worry because no business really can stand a very extended closure. And if we end up being closed into 2021, more than 12 months, there are lots of pubs in this country that will not reopen again in that scenario. No, no business can take that. In the short term, once reopened, bars and pubs nationwide will have a completely different atmosphere and in many ways different purpose as they adjust to operating under more stringent safety measures. The obvious issue is around social distancing in a bar environment. So people standing around the bar, people standing in groups, and how you maintain social distancing in that bar setting. We don't think that's workable at all. We don't see how that can be done. That said, we do believe we can provide table service. We do believe we can do a food business, um, and we do believe we can serve alcohol to tables. It changes the dynamic entirely. It upends our business model. But there is, I think, a good case to be made that as the restrictions ease, that pubs open on the same basis as all food service businesses. But it would be small groups seated in the pub being served to the table, no standing, no congregating at the bar. Um, So that scenario is viable. But if you think about our normal business, if you think about what a good pub looks like Mm -hmm. on on a busy Friday night or Saturday night, we don't see that environment coming back uh, in, the, in, the, in the short term at all at all. And so there are huge issues around our business viability. You know, I mean, while we're locked down, obviously our turnover is zero. So we're, we're in big trouble. But there's huge question marks around the conditions and the terms under which we will reopen. And if we reopen in a scenario where we can't have a full busy bar, people mixing, people in close contact, then clearly we can't generate turnover and that can create, you know, bigger headaches around the sustainability of our businesses and our sector. And what about pubs who purely won't be able to diversify into more of a food business? Where does that leave them? Yeah, it leaves them in an invidious position. You know, they they are terribly concerned about their future. Uh, I mean, what we need more than anyone is the scientists to turn up a vaccine because that clearly solves the problem for everybody. Um, and in that scenario, we can get back to business. But the problem right now is that we understand the vaccine is 12 to 18 months away. And, um, you know, we simply can't stay closed for 12 to 18 months. Irish restaurants are feeling the burn of the indefinite closures just as much as Ireland's publicans. JP McMahon is one of Ireland's leading restaurateurs and Michelin starred chef and owner of an air in Galway. For him and others in the industry, planning ahead is near impossible with so many variables still up in the air. It's difficult in the sense that we don't really know what's going on. So I suppose the unknowing is probably the biggest difficulty, knowing when we can open and what way we can open. And then also trying to work out ways in which when we can open, uh, what we'll be able to do, whether that's just takeaway or whether that's with a reduced capacity and whether that's 
viable. So I think overall, the fact that there are so many unknowns, I think is probably the biggest stumbling block. Another huge issue many in the industry now face is restaurants having enough cash flow to pay off existing debts, such as their rent or bills to suppliers. We were coming out of the winter in Galway or winter spring and like really between March and October or March and September is, is when our season happens. So we won't have that this year at all. So the, I mean, that would be a concern for us um, even if we do open in July. And I probably, that's probably the concern for a lot of restaurants outside Dublin who that operate seasonally. And it really depends on how practical some of the, um, the asks are. I think sometimes the way we interpret European law sometimes is, 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 is um, it's a bit of a stumbling block, even the way we interpret, say, the same health legislation as France or Germany in terms of food and that. So I just hope that we kind of have a practical aspect of it as well, as well as the safety aspect. But sometimes we're too cautious. And if we get restaurants to open up and remove half their seating and we get everyone in here, there is like a cost factor to that and and whether or not the, the restaurant industry can do that. Can we speak about the viability of trying to run a restaurant on limited capacity? Because obviously the margins on food are so tight as well. For a lot of restaurants, I'd imagine it probably just wouldn't even be worthwhile opening their doors. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we tried to, the first weekend where that, I think the social distancing of a meter was suggested, we tried to do that in Cava and uh, it was about half the restaurant's capacity. So you're talking about maybe 35, 30 seats. Um, and you you would be losing 50% of your staff. So not only do you have less customers, you're also going to drop your staff. At present, staffing issues are one of the many concerns for JP and others in the industry, which employs over 74,000 people nationwide. We have 45 staff, but I suppose I'm concerned and we've chatted to them that conservatively, I think we we will lose 30% of them. I mean, if I, if I was to take the pessimistic view, it would be 50%. But certainly, I mean, Tartar is a small cafe and wine bar if that was to even the one meter social distancing would bring the seating down to about 12 mm. and a near i can't imagine opening at all yeah. because a it relies on relies on tourism it's fine dining and then if you bring in a meter social distancing we have 24 seats so you would be reducing the capacity to about 12 but the costs are just too high to run in terms of um running a Michelin star restaurant for for 12 people unless we were to double the price of the menu which without um the customer base i can't see that happening so a near is something and we're really going to have to uh, think about and what we're going to do with it the supply chain for a restaurant is huge and mass closures are grossly affecting everyone from the food suppliers down to the companies that design dining room layouts and menu plans we would deal with a lot of uh the smaller suppliers like Castlemine Farm for beef and lamb, we have Friendly Farmer for chicken. So if we were to do half as many people and half our orders, well like that would that would really be a knock on effect there. In terms of, I suppose, agriculture, it, it definitely. But then also you've got the transportation of that food and then you have the um, um, the light and the heat and all of the other services mm. that we use and the, the disposables. And so there is a massive knock-on effect that will happen. And, and I think even for the hotels, it's going to be even more difficult because then once you bring rooms in and if there's no one to take those rooms and you have laundry and you have... Like, there's so many services that kind of hover around food and mm. I suppose we forget about the, the central importance of... Um, of food in our lives. I mean, we eat three or four times a day and whether that's in the supermarket, we buy that stuff or the market or the restaurant, 
Um, I mean, everything is coming out of the pretty much out of the supermarket at the moment. Everything, and even some of our uh, bigger suppliers are actually going direct to customers now as well. I think even Palace Foods have have opened up to customers, mm. um, so they see that, that there is no commercial trade at the moment. So I mean, it will be a while for that to come back. What sort of impact will sanitation now have on how restaurants operate, both? on you know floor level and in the kitchen itself we have quite strict laws anyway and i think that the use of gloves and masks i don't know how much more advantageous using them is in relation to the preparation of food and i think that they give you for, uh, for me anyway they give you a false sense of security when people have gloves and that and you think that this is a safer space but i think even the who have recommended that like gloves should not replace hand washing and mm. i mean hand washing i think is probably the most important thing so i have seen also the document about about spacing in kitchens and like in ireland we don't have very large establishments and large kitchens so having workbenches that separate staff. I mean, it's going to be very, very difficult to implement or having rotating staff, particularly for smaller companies. And again, we, we would be one of those companies. So it really depends on how strict the legislation is. And if it's too strict, then there won't be any reopening. There have been huge issues all throughout the hospitality industry regarding insurance not covering loss of income during the crisis. Many policies such as JPs even include coverage against infectious disease, but only become activated if the disease was apparent on their physical premises. It's quite disingenuous on the part of the insurance company and I think a lot of them are, are relying on ambiguous language and I think that's how the insurance industry operates most of the time and I feel like we have sent our claim on to uh, two solicitors and we, they said we, it looks like it's 50-50 but at the same time, if it is 50-50, you need to have the funds to take that action mm. And also, as they said to us, you need to make sure that you're going to get more out of it than it's going to cost you. And, and that might be the case because they have um, caveats in place to, to make sure. So, I mean, for me, the two winners out of this pandemic are, are the banks and the insurance industry. And I think that they, have, um, they haven't, I suppose, done themselves any justice. And I feel very, um, I wouldn't say bitter, but mm. I really question the, the, the purpose of insurance if it is just for other individuals on your space then it brings no benefit whatsoever. Because at the moment, if business interruption doesn't cover you for business interruption, like then what's the point in having it? Yeah. One thing you'd mentioned at the beginning of the interview was how much cash flow is going to be for a lot of businesses. And a lot of restaurants, especially ones that are big chains or either multinational as well, they're probably going to have this cash flow to manage. So in whatever recovery package might be made, is it essential to have a tiered one for independent restaurants and then one for the bigger organizations as well? Yeah, I think so. I've seen in the States that they had a few problems because the the first wave of, of their package went out to larger companies that probably have more cash flow than than smaller ones. And uh, a couple of my friends in, in the States who are restaurateurs were arguing about that. And I, I definitely think you need to look at the industry in a, in a more subtle way. But again, most of the time, we're not very good at that in Ireland. When we look at the laws governing, governing food or that, we generally have one rule for everyone. Mm. And then the bigger companies benefit more because they can buy, buy more technology. Or So I do think a tiered system is is probably something that we're, that we're going to need. But I, I think there's also issues around redundancies that nobody is talking about. And if we lose 50% of our staff and, the, and they're due redundancy, and that's five grand a person, I mean, who's going to pay that? Mm. I mean, that's a massive... If, if, we're going to, if the hospitality industry is going to lose 30% of its workforce and these people have been working for you two or three years, they're all due redundancy. Mm. And I can see that being a massive stumbling block in terms of your cash flow. Because even if we drop 10 of our staff and it's eight weeks holidays for, for two years. So like that's 4,000 euro. That mm. could be 40,000 euro for 10 people. 
And I think that's something that's going to be very, very difficult. Padraig Crabine is the chief executive of the Irish Vintners Federation, which represents the country's pubs and bars outside the Greater Dublin area. He feels government intervention is absolutely essential in order to keep the hospitality industry alive. Government really will have to step up to the mark and support those businesses in a number of ways, whether it be through an absolute abolishment of rates for a period of time, whether it be through, you know, people talk about helicopter money. I think there is going to have to be money like in the UK Mm. put into the hospitality sector. Uh, I think there's going to have to be uh, um, an understanding that there are outstanding VAT and PRSI bills that are going to have to be written off. And Mm. indeed, there's going to have to be working capital made available at somewhere between zero and 0.5 interest rates. The hangover from the 2008 economic crisis is still felt in pubs around Ireland to this day and is further accentuated in rural establishments who bared witness to mass immigration internationally and nationally as many of the young workforce moved into urban areas. What happened, I suppose, back in the 2008 to 2012 era was that a lot of the young people disappeared. There was a major crash, particularly in the construction sector, And they were people who were spending their money uh, at the weekend or spending it during the week. And essentially what happened was a lot of those people ran out of money and emigrated. So it had a a major effect on uh, rural areas in particular, not just on the pub trade, but on the the whole social life uh, in terms of even down to the the, the availability of certain clubs to field GAA teams. Mm. So it, it had a major impact. But it was something that had an impact uh, a little bit on the drip, if you know what I mean. It was almost a death by a thousand cuts, whereas this has been death by one cut. And I know that's not, not a great analogy, but, you know, the, 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 uh, this has been a lot more sudden. Uh, a lot of pubs then had reinvented themselves, whether it be through food, whether it be through events, whether it be through sport or whatever. Uh, and we're just coming out of that terrible era that they had gone through and unfortunately now find themselves back in the same situation only probably a lot worse that was it for episode 20 of viral covid19 i want to say thanks to jp podrick and donald for joining me on the podcast today we will be back next week with more news and updates on ireland's fight against coronavirus i mean doyle i'll chat to you then Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.